Today, we are going to look at just four verses. And I can't see you because this is a recording, but I have a feeling you're smiling because after all we've been through in Jeremiah, four verses is a bit of a relief. Today, we're also not in a phase of the cycle that we have described along the way. We're right in between two phases, the destruction and the restoration. It's a pivotal moment in the story. If the people have been listening, then they're hearing God calling out, will you trust me again? What happens if they say, we will? Now, here's the first of our two verses, Jeremiah 12, 14 and 15. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel, meaning the neighbors are the nations who are coming after Israel's land. God says, here am I, I am going to uproot them from their land and will uproot the house of Judah from among them. And it will come about that after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them and I will bring them back each one to their inheritance and each one to their land. We've mentioned at another time how the land was incredibly significant for God's people. They had trusted God as they journeyed to the land. They trusted God to take care of them before they had the land. And for a long time, Israel had been rooted in their land, enjoying the fulfillment of God's promise. Losing the land, you'll remember, was a consequence of not trusting. The people shifted their trust from God to the idols of the nations called Baals in Hebrew and No Gods by John Golden Gay. They walked away from God towards the No Gods, and as a consequence, they were carried away from the land God had given to the land the No Gods supposedly ruled. Generations have since passed. Now, as they read Jeremiah, they aren't in their land. They've been exiled from their own land long enough to be rooted in Babylon. And they are well aware by now that Babylon and its idols have not given life. The first time they were uprooted, it was devastating. Now, in exile, they are learning to trust God again. And so to hear that they are going to be uprooted, this time, it's hopeful. God is going to uproot the evil neighbors and uproot Judah from Babylon. God will bring them back, replant them, as it were. They've gone through destruction, and there's the chance for life on the other side. But it's not limited to just before God's people. God is, as always, looking to the nations that Israel is meant to bless. And so the passage continues like this in verse 16. Then if they, the nations, will really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people if they will really learn the ways of my people. And so you have this image of God's people following the nations and learning to worship idols from them. Then they follow the nations against their will to their land in exile. And now the images of God's people not only returning, but being followed by the nations who will in turn learn to worship the living God from them. Like I said, we're right in between the destruction and the restoration in the cycle that Israel and God go through. That space between destruction and change, it's hope. Hope that although there's been a death, destruction, new life might come out the other side. And that that new life will not just be for the ones who went through the death and destruction, but for way more people. It's a pretty common motif for us. Life, death, and a resurrection that expands God's redemption. 
These verses point to this hope that Israel and Judah would have felt we can come back. We can walk a life-giving path again. And not only that, but we can do it with others. Learn the ways of the people of God together. Live a life worth living together. I hope for that too. I think you might as well. This question, what makes life worth living, it hovers over and it weaves through this whole book. And God is always hoping that God's answer to that would be the answer we adopt for ourselves, which would mean that life is not worth living, following and worshiping the no gods. And a life worth living isn't marked by accolades, security, influence, success, wealth. Life is worth living when we follow and worship God. And it's marked by faithfulness. And that's really what we hope for, to be faithful together. Faithful in life's ups and downs, joys and challenges, hope and pain. Going through life's regular experiences, trusting God. And if we're lucky, we don't do it alone. They will really learn the ways of my people, God says. The life-giving ways of God's people. I don't think those are spiritual superpowers that special people acquire. The faithful are delightfully ordinary, and their ways are often simple. Isn't it life-giving when someone stops pretending and is just themselves? Isn't it life-giving when you talk about real stuff with others? Isn't it life-giving to pray for people's real needs and be prayed for in that way and to sometimes see God respond and move? Isn't it life-giving to experience God together, whatever the situation and circumstance? When we have found that we, like Judah, were unfaithful, trusted no gods, have no life, isn't it life-giving to be invited by someone to trust God again? When we have found that we wanted to be faithful, but our pain was too heavy, isn't it life-giving when someone came and carried it with us? When we found ourselves stuck, less walking down a path than sitting in the middle of it, isn't it life-giving when someone sits by us until we are ready to stand up and walk again? If we come to the end of our lives and we have been faithful, it is always because someone else often many someones, helped us to keep trusting. We learned the ways of God's people through them and through their faithfulness. I am deeply convinced of this. Faithfulness is inspiring. And I think there is a deep need for a group in the Pomona Valley to say, all we want is to be faithful. We will learn the ways of God's people and then we will practice those ways and teach anyone who wants to join us those ways as well. There is a deep need for a group that says to those who don't trust God, have your no gods given you life? Would you like to try and learn this way with us? There is a deep need for a group that has determined in their deepest heart, life is worth living because of Jesus. Life is not worth living because the circumstances are just right. Life is worth living because we live it with Jesus and with the people who love Jesus too. Ultimately, Jesus is the climax of this story of God's commitment to be a life giver. God comes in a body answering the same question, what makes life worth living? And saying, follow me. And Jesus is nothing but faithful. Faithful even though that leads to death, because then there can be hope beyond death. Jesus lives and there is nothing more worthwhile than following him together.